0: Hello, everyone. Uh, good day. Uh, assalamu alaikum, shalom, shanti, and peace be each and every one of you. We are again on our One Love podcast with co host and chaplain Julian Martin. And today we have a beautiful headliner, amazing story, who spent a long bit of his life inside uh, incarceration and now he's doing great outside. So we will hope. Um, to utilize his story to inspire you. And uh, this is our fourth episode of the One Love podcast. And thank you for listening and uh, welcome, everyone. So welcome, Julian, and welcome, Kenny.
1: Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good middle of the night, whatever it is, whenever you're listening to this podcast, thank you for coming to our little corner of the internet and listening to what we have to say. Um, I'm excited to be here with my friend Habib. As always, I always enjoy spending time and coffee with my brother in Chaplaincy. Um, and my good friend Kenny, who I've uh, uh, known for a few years now. I can't remember how when we first met, but um, yeah, we've sort of kept in touch. And he always delights me with his uh, refreshingly honest view on life. Um, but uh, behind his uh, humble humble wisdom i would say he's uh sells himself short i think and how much wisdom he does have so i'm excited to hear what he's going to share with us today so kenny it's the floor is yours
1: well thank you i'm not sure if i know how to dance but i'll give it a shot oh, so lovely kenny
0: welcome kenny and i will ask you a few questions to start you off so kenny what was it like when you were growing up and uh do you think any of those uh, experiences when you were growing up actually affected you to, uh, for the crime that you have committed? And uh, do you think also that you have learned any kind of wisdom from your long duration incarcerated that could be a lesson learned and a lesson uh, for many of us who are living
1: outside?
2: Just baby questions um, to start.
1: <laughs> I grew up in a very small rural town in you know central Ontario it was basically a farming community I had a great family Uh, you know mother and father were excellent to me and my brother and my grandparents lived with us and I had a wonderful family wonderful childhood growing up and when I hit my teen years I you know found drugs and found alcohol and found the wrong people to hang around with and start doing things and my life took a divergent path from there and I went down a bad road and it's easy to dismiss that as oh well that's everybody's path you know everyone says that and everyone it does it is and everybody does have a similar path when you when you start down there when you start down the alcohol and drug road you begin to take those similar routes it's amazing to me how similar each guy story is when you sit in uh, um, counseling sessions or or group therapy sessions and you hear the stories they all kind of start that similar pathway and everybody's path is different but there are remarkable similarities. And the nice thing about drugs and alcohol is they numb that conscience. That little thing in your head that says, hey, dude, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. It gets numbed out. And after many years of you know, abusing alcohol and abusing drugs, it goes to sleep on you. and you forget that we are all fellow travelers be kind to your, to your neighbor, to the stranger, because someday you may need their kindness in return. And you forget that. And you end up committing crimes and, and doing all manner of things that wind you up in a prison. And before you know it, you have no idea what to do with yourself. You've become somebody you don't recognize anymore. So then you pile in more drugs and more alcohol, and, you know, you switch from drinking booze and smoking weed to shooting heroin and what goes on with all of that, and you spend the better part of your life. I was a teenager when I went to prison. and I was in my 50s when I got out.
0: So you were a teenager when you entered the criminal justice system. Uh, what was the initial uh, experience like?
1: Um. To be honest, I was numb to it. It, it, it was—I just stayed stoned. I was numb to it. I was like a, you know, a passenger on a midnight train, just dozing out all the way through. Um, it's not till you get to the gate to Millhaven that you really begin to realize just how badly you you screwed up. And, you know, if you, if you've robbed somebody, you can, you can make amends for that. If you, have you know, sold drugs, you can, you, there's things you can do, but there's nothing I could do to make amends for what I am. Because death is permanent. And unfortunately you can't take that back. You can't, you, you can't find a way to make that right. You know, if, and and Millhaven is a
0: maximum prison with lots of uh, tough subculture that you have to navigate. Uh, were you uh, at any time uh, losing faith and hope and then you suddenly found the light of faith and hope? I had near. Is there did. faith
2: and hope at Millhaven? I'm just thinking you were, you were uh, a baby when you went there. I mean, I'm thinking of what you look like now. You're you're a big dude.
1: <laughs> well, um, I wasn't
2: tiny then either. But, okay, but uh, what, what was I'm just like, what was that like being so young and um, Millhaven is not
1: Where? Um, <laughs> not a piece of cake. <laughs> Millhaven is is if you're looking for the gates to hell, it's at two eighty Millhaven. It it is literally, um, it is a soul-sucking void of nastiness. Uh, You know, there is no other way to describe it. You go in there, and especially back when you went into the population, you know, you were in reception first, and it was kind of like being in county a little bit. But when you went out to the population, that's when you realize you know that that not to trivialize but we're not in kansas anymore total and you learn quit you either step up and and do what you got to do to survive or you know it's predator or prey sadly i was a predator um I fell into the subculture within the institution easily and rode that all the way to being sent to Supermax out in the back. Um, I was not a nice person at no. all.
0: So Max is correct, death has a repetition.
1: Yep. It yeah, was
2: and uh, not a good reputation either, not one that anyone would want to have
1: no it's a nasty spot it's um, a, it's it's worse the middle avenue if you can believe that
2: so i'm just i'm just wondering it, it there's obviously like a a moment in your life whenever you decided to um because without going into the details of you know what brought you to the supermax and, and what predatory <coughs> behavior was like when you were there um that is definitely far far from who you are today um so what what changed what was the what what got you on off of that path and onto the path that you're on now
1: well there were there were three major factors that got me to this path I met a, a, a girl who eventually became my wife who has since passed away um you start kind of now there's two people in this so you, you kind of start come to the point where heroin wasn't doing it anymore. I couldn't numb that nagging feeling of something. So I got on methadone and and started to clean myself up. I was at Joyceville at the time, a medium security institution. And then a friend of mine, well, there were four of us, but a, a friend of mine, we ended up getting kicked out of Joyceville and sent back to Milley. And he died of a heroin. Smartest man I ever met. Sorry. He was uh, Sheldon on the Big Bang Theory. Hmm. You
0: know,
1: he never forgot anything. Couldn't win an argument with this man to save your life because he remembered everything he ever said.
2: Even you no. couldn't win no. an argument with him?
1: No. Wow. He, he was
2: infuriating.
1: <laughs> so when I, you know, when it got him that easy, I thought, you know what, this isn't working. This, this, this I'm sitting in a in, in a jail cell in Millhaven. My friend has just died. You know, uh, I have a wonderful family who will have been beside me every day. This isn't working. So I like it to this. You reach a a point where you have three paths set out before you. Continue doing what you're doing and you will spend the rest of your day sitting in a jail cell somewhere doing no good for nothing. Change everything there is to change about you and maybe, just maybe, you might have a chance at at release Hmm. or you kill yourself. Oh, so, no. so you're, uh, I looked, thrash,
0: you're in the threshold of losing faith. You, you, you're.
1: No, because I didn't have it. You're at the threshold of getting. It. Right. Right. And, and I looked at those three paths, and I thought, doing what I'm doing isn't work for me. This is this is not. This isn't working. I don't like this, and, and I don't know what to do. Killing myself, I like myself too much. Even though I'm messed up, I still like myself. So that left one path for me to go down. Take everything there was to change and maybe get a chance to. Now, I got lucky that there were some professional people around me at the time that I managed to be in touch with, psychologists and and programmers. When I hit that that zero, they were there for me. And like i say my my family I, I can't there are not enough good words in any language to describe them um they are they are just un, unreal so you were saying
0: I, uh your family was still in touch with you which is rare many of the guys they to lose touch with their families after I, incarcerated yeah.
1: It saddens me when I see how many guys in there who don't know what the visiting room looks like because they've never seen it. I am the, I'm a very rare and very fortunate individual that that didn't happen. Sounds so I started down the path to change. Um, I just, uh, I, there was no choice. Prison was not working for me. Like I said I like my, I like life, so that wouldn't work for me. So I had to figure out how to become someone different. And so, do you have any? No uh,
0: do you have any interesting uh, stories uh, while in prison that you maybe you know impacted someone's life?
1: Well. Um, there's been a couple I guess um, you know a, a guy that I we knew he uh, he had gotten into an altercation and had been stabbed in in his neck and was bleeding out and nobody wanted to go near him because you know you don't get involved because it might and somebody told me what was going on and they said Mike he's in trouble and where and just went and grabbed him. Come on, dude. We're going to health care. You're you're dying standing here. He didn't know what to do. He wasn't, you know, and, and you help a guy up to healthcare and he's gone on. He lives out west with his, his new wife, and he has a couple of kids, and he's well, doing well. very well. Um congratulations. Thank you for sharing that. You know, and there's there's been a few guys that. Rob, this young guy, Robbie, he was just a kid and ended up in prison, sadly doing a life sentence, um, which he eventually appealed and, and was convicted of manslaughter and time third. But he, uh, he saw us and he saw, you know, because we were still using heroin and that stuff back then, and he wanted to try it. And I put the word out, said, anybody who gives him any heroin or morphine or any of the opiates will have a problem with me. I will drop on you like a Mm -hmm. hammer. And I told Robbie, I said, look, kid, you're young. Yeah, you got life 10. You can be out in eight or nine. You'll still be in your 20s. You have a chance to have a life. Don't do what you see us he's doing, this is, a, this is a guaranteed way to keep him
0: inside. Wow. So that's, uh, that's very impactful. And I, I want to go to Julian. Julian, you notice that people still think of those who are being incarcerated as they have no sense of compassion and humanity and courage to stand up uh, um, you know, against injustice. Uh, but this story is giving us a different light. Do you have any reflection on that?
2: Oh, I think it's the, yeah, anybody who would think that um, because people are incarcerated that they don't have compassion or, or deep empathy or remorse or any of those things. It's just obviously never spent any time talking to people who, who have been in prison because um, I know in the, in the relatively short amount of time that I've been really blessed to do this work, which is about 10 years or so, um, I've just been overwhelmed with the with the stories of, of caring and looking out for people um and you know it's just a reminder that um that light is present in the darkness right so even though these places are um places of despair and grief and trauma there's also an incredible resilience and love and compassion and And really a a deep desire for, for self-awareness. And that is something that a lot of people who are on the outside never take time to do, never sit there and contemplate. Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I make the choices that I make? Um, Because it's scary to do that, right? To look at things that we've done that we're not proud of. And and so um, I think it takes strength. And, and as, as Kenny was speaking, I was, I was just saying, I think, um, it sounds like he was kind of, even though he was in a really dark place, he was also surrounded by love and it was coming at him from different angles. Right. You had your, your family who's, well, people think, Oh, well, they have to love me. Um, you had your wife who who chose to love you and then you had professional people who, who loved you. And I know some people get their backs up when they say, Oh, no, a professional, you can't be loving, but, to me, loving just means caring for the other person and wanting what's best for them. So I think absolutely that can exist in a professional relationship.
0: Yeah. As and I was going says that justice is love in public.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so maybe we could go back to that a little bit. So you made the decision to get on the right path, Ken, and then maybe you can... Because the one thing I've learned about prison too is that things take time.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you got to have patience. That's um, uh, yeah, it takes time. So, how how long would you say once you made that decision to get on that path? How long was your journey
1: out? Ten years. I'll speak
2: to that a bit. Pardon?
1: Ten years.
2: Ten years. Ten
1: years. Wow. To get to a point where, from the moment I decided things had to change, to where I can say I am comfortably changed and becoming somebody I want to be. It it, it was a good 10 years. It it took a while. It wasn't, you know, it it wasn't my quick walk away. Because a lot of people don't want you to do that. Mm. People depend on you doing what you do so they can do what they do. And there was a lot of struggle and a lot of, well, there were a few slips along the road. Not as many as I would have thought, but there were a few. And we just kept plodding away at it, plodding away at it, going and going and going. And then, excuse me, I was at the um, Bath Institution the first time a parole officer started talking to me about maybe sending me to minimum security. Were you surprised about that? Started having panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm attacks. in my 40s at that point, and and you know somebody kind of showed me a picture of the door and said, "You can walk through this," and I started having panic attacks. I remember talking to a psychologist who I have a great deal of respect for, who worked there at the time, who was very instrumental in Getting me to a good mental health spot, I guess you could say. And, and I talked to her about it. And, and I said, I'm in my 40s having a panic attack. And she started laughing. She says, Kenny, you've been in prison longer than you were on the street. Wow. I mean, you know, the last time you wrote, she said computers were science fiction, sort of. Now everyone's got one in their pocket. The cell phone was a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, cell phone was a massive thing that weighed like 40 pounds. Uh, so and she now said,
2: we're using one to meet to talk. Yes.
1: <laughs> and, and she said, "Relax. Give yourself a break. Calm down. Let's talk about it." And it, it was that really weird sensation that... wow, how'd this happen? What, like, how did we figure this out? And in self destructive behavior, I screwed up and got sent back to work with because, well, that's how you do it.
2: Yeah.
1: And I, it was a, I was about to work with, I think, a year, maybe two, year and a half, two years in, and went to Fanbrook. I was there about a year and a little bit. And, my pro officer said, you know what? I'm tired of you. I'm going to send you over to uh, uh Pardon? <laughs> yeah. She says, you're holding up space. Get out. That's literally what she said. You're holding up space. Get out. That's and so a big here compliment. Here. Yeah.
2: People who are listening might not get that, but that's a pretty big compliment. I'd for reach that point.
0: Yeah, you don't usually get that
1: transfer from medium to minimum. If you no. Easy and because she she looked at the totality of my file and if you looked at on paper eh, it's bad but then somewhere along that paper trail things begin to shift
2: yeah.
1: and they shifted from you know black to white um, and they just said okay Here's your chance, here it is. Minimum security, there's no fence around. You can move about as you please, you know. Let's see what, what you do with it. Did my stay at minimum security and here I am talking to you two today. Yes, and whoever else may be listening. Wow, wow. So what is, the, what is it that really
0: did it for you to reintegrate into society successfully? Hopefully that this uh, will be a means to inspire those who are listening and who are wishing to stay away from incarceration.
2: That's good- sorry, can I just interject with just, I'm, I'm just curious. You said it took 10 years for you to make that path out. Yes. I'm just curious when you, when you first got out, um, how long do you think it took for you to um, feel as part of the community? Because I, I think something that people don't understand is really how hard it is um, to return to the community from prison. Um,
1: yes. So I, I think I you know what you're about asking. A little bit. I, I think I know what you're asking. How long did it take me before that great big sign that's over the top of my head that says XCON con goes away? Yeah. <laughs> um. First time I talked to a police officer. I was trying to sort out some ID, by birth certificate, and you have to go to Canada Services, and the closest one uh, to the halfway house is in City Hall in Toronto. <laughs> Excuse me. And I knew I was close. Uh, like I googled it. And I, I I knew I was close to City Hall. I couldn't see it because the view of City Hall I had was you know the Toronto sign out front all that. So I, I I'm thinking okay. I got to ask someone. And the first somebody that came along was a bike officer, a, a policeman on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. And I stopped him. Excuse me. And I, I said, I'm trying to find city hall. I know I'm close. I said, but I, I, I just can't seem to locate it. And he kind of chuckled and pointed at the building over his shoulder and said, it, it, it's that big one right there. <laughs> like, you know, I was literally 50 yeah, yards. A... Yeah. And I said, Thanks, officer. You have a good day. And I went along and wow. went in, did, did what I had to do. And as I was riding the, the bus back up the halfway house, it, it, it dawned on me. Mm. I just talked to a cop, law enforcement, guy who, you know, is in the same lifestyle I am on the other side, but in, mm. was in the same am. And he had no idea that I was an ex cop. Mm-hmm. And it, it was literally that epiphany, a lot of guys, it takes longer and, and that, but you have to give yourself a break, especially if you've been away a long time, you've been away three or four years, that's long enough, but you know, it's three or four years. And, and, but when you've been in 20, 30 or more years, you got to give it a break. So you talked
0: about this moment for 30 years? I have, off and on,
1: and luckily for me, I kept part of my head out here because of my family.
2: True. So there was that connection to the outside still.
1: I still had that connection. Mm-hmm. And I kept current. You know, I used to watch the news all the time, and, you know, W5, 60 Minutes, I kept I kept my, my brain working. Well, I wasn't oblivious necessarily to how things were it is a culture shock however uh, it took me a while i'm still trying to figure out all the things on my smartphone but uh, everybody's
2: in that boat ken for what it's worth
1: only the smart four
2: phone. and five year olds really know how all the technology works all the rest of us who are on the other side of, of teenagehood have no idea what's going on so don't
1: worry yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what my aunt says. She says, it's definitely a smartphone because it outsmarts me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and Kenny is smarter than
0: the smartphone.
1: Oh, I try.
2: <laughs> it, so it, what does it, a it day look smart. like for you now, Ken? What's Sorry? an average day? What does an average day look like for you now?
1: Um, well, Monday through Thursday, I get up and go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I work four 10-hour shifts. Uh, and then I got three days off through the, you know, Friday through the weekend. Fridays, I usually go out and see my aunt. Um, and then Saturdays hang out with the family. Um, I have a friend who's in my bubble, so we're not outside the COVID restraint. Uh, I'll go over and see her and her three daughters are, I'm uncle Kenny. Her three daughters are, are my heart. I've known them all since they were born. Um and I love them, the pieces, they are just the sweetest thing.
2: Oh, I bet you're a great uncle.
0: Oh, lovely. So Uncle Kenny also found love. That's amazing. It uh
1: it is. It is. And the three of them, I mean they, they used to come see me at least once a month inside. So they know where I've been. Right. Um they don't care. They, they really don't. Of course, they also know Uncle Kenny's a soft touch and well,
2: they whatever, see the they want, whatever they
1: want, they get.
2: They see the whole person, right, Ken? And I think that's important. It's Nobody should be defined by what they did 30 some odd years ago, regardless of what that was. So, right. Like you said, um, you work hard, you know, you work, um, you care about your family. That That's what needs to be focused on now, not, not who you were 30 years ago.
1: Yeah. I I agree with that and I disagree with that. Yeah, um, I agree with it in that you're right when you're a screwed up, messed up individual who has no idea of anything. Yeah, I understand. But in the same part, all that experience defined who I am now. Mm. It brought me to this place. It is a tragedy that it took such dramatic action to do that, and, and I wish I could. I wish I could have done it a different way. Could have done it a different way. Um, so, are you planning to publish your story,
0: Kenny? Uh, you? Pardon? Are you planning to publish your story?
2: Are you going to write one day? I think that's what he's trying to get at. Keep in mind, Habib has written multiple books, so he thinks that it, anybody should just write a book. He doesn't realize how difficult it is. <laughs>
1: um, well, I might do something. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, sometimes, though, the pain it can cause is not worth the the... the... Artic nature of it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um you know when i was getting released i my parole officer inside and i i mean i drove her crazy uh with because i didn't want any victim impact i didn't want anything i did to impact the victims of my crimes any further so i wanted to make sure that the place i chose to live and and be a citizen, not impact their life in any way
0: mm-hmm.
1: further. And she got pissed at me eventually because I drove her crazy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very this possible. is it, it is very important. that if caused enough pain, we don't need to do any more. So to write a book, yeah, that might be painful. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, all right so our time is up uh, thank you Kenny uh, your, your story definitely is on and it's intriguing and i'm hoping that listeners will be inspired by this i will leave Julian for some parting reflection and then you will have the final word
1: mm-hmm. all right
2: um hmm, parting
0: reflection
2: well i think um you, when we were talking a little bit ago and you mentioned something about you know being on the threshold of of faith made me think of um the the words of Martin Luther King Jr. um which I mean it's Black History Month so maybe I'm just constantly thinking about his words but um he once said faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase and um yeah, it just it, it kind of made me think of that, and maybe closing words. If you could share with us a little bit about your, just where where you're at um, spiritually, because I, I just as as we've been chatting, there's been a number of things that you've said that have pointed to um, you know a, a deep um, respect for you know how you impact others and um, life journeys and you know, making amends and all kinds of things that you said that all that all really are a part of spirituality. So I don't know if I'm stealing what you were planning on closing with, but if you could touch on that, that would be great. And I did want to thank you very much for your time. I very much appreciate talking to you all. Thank and you. Um, yeah, so thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Julian.
1: Um, well, it was, it's been a pleasure to meet you, Habib, and see you again, Julie. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes.
1: Um, where am I spirited? Be kind. Just be kind. Kindness goes a long way. I don't. I don't know if it's you know be kind to the teller at the bank or you know throw a, a loony in a in a guy's cup because he's down on his luck. I don't know. Be kind because kindness brings kindness back to you. It really does, even inside. It. Be a good, news. and when you run up against, you know, those hard moments, when you when you're first out, and, you, and you're going to have them, it, it life. Just remember this: you can either walk around the hard moment and learn nothing, or get a sledgehammer and beat your way through it and learn. something. Because the hard shit, pardon my French, is what makes it worth it. Because on the other side of that hard spot, there's something good. There's something waiting there for you. Whether it's a new job, new car, you know, a, a new girlfriend, or a new whatever. Fill in whatever blank is necessary. Life doesn't work for you. Beat on until it, it does. Find what you want. And make it simple. Mm-hmm. You, know? well, you definitely sound like
0: a sage there. So thank Isn't you. That humble you wisdom that everyone. I was talking
2: about.
0: And uh, happy Black History Month, everyone. And we will catch you again next week. One love.
2: One love, everyone. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah.